Saw, dude. You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision, bruh. Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe's Song from our study on the gospel according to Matthew. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. Hope you can do that. But yeah, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. We'll continue on in Matthew. This is a really famous parable. Uh, but uh, I, think, I think there's a lot for us to, to hear from it. So if you guys can turn there, let me pray for us and, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will open the eyes of our hearts today to, to see the, the beauty of your truth and the reality of your kingdom. And Lord, we pray just as we all uh, dedicated our houses and our homes to you, Lord, we, uh, will you come and your truth may fill our households, and our lives today. And may we be transformed by them and transform those around us by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this is a a famous parable, um, the parable of the talents. And well, let's read it and then we'll just jump right into it. So let let me turn there as well. Matthew 25, there we go. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went on his way. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them with them, and he made five more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master answered him, you you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested your money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So then take the talent from the one and give it to him who has the 10 for everyone who has more uh, will be given and to the one and will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right. So we have to, I think because it's such a famous sermon, I think what we forget 
is the context of, of this sermon. Like, I think some people are even uh, surprised. I think Grace was surprised when I told her I was preaching on this this week. She's like, oh, wait, that parable's here in Matthew 25. You know, and if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know where we are. The context of where Jesus gives this parable is in the middle of Jesus's most apocalyptic teaching, right? The, the, the word apocalypse means revealing of hidden knowledge, especially knowledge of the end of the world, right? This is Jesus's final teaching on the end of the world, on the apocalypse, on what's going to happen, like, when the, when the world is going to end and all, all these crazy things are going to happen when, when the son of man shows up. And, but the thing is, usually when we look at this parable, at least for me growing up, this parable was usually used to teach nice young Asian boys and girls to study hard, right? To not be lazy, to be good stewards of your talents and to practice your violin really hard because you're going to play for Jesus when you see him, right? It's to study hard, make something of yourself. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your abilities. Don't be lazy, right? Be a good, hardworking citizen. This is kind of at least the context of what, what I've been told. But when we put it in its proper context, this is Jesus is talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the apocalypse. He's talking about the return of the Son of Man and judgment. That's the context of this parable. So when you look at what he's been talking about for the last two chapters, we have to reorient everything that we know about this parable and look at it in that context. The second coming of Jesus and the end of this age, that is what this is. Jesus talked about, in, starting in, in, in chapter 23 and 24, the signs of the end times, right? How the world is going to fall apart. There's going to be famines and wars and destruction. There's going to be a desolation, abomination of desolation in the holy place. He talks about how when he comes, the sun is going to fall and the stars are going to fall out of the sky. There's going to be darkness and the son of man is going to come with judgment and power. There's going to be rapture. That is what we're talking about right now. And then he answers the question, when will these things happen? And what he says is that no one will know when these things are going to happen. You're going to see them coming, but you're not going to know the exact time or date. And so what you're supposed to do is you need to prepare for it to happen at any time. We have to be ready. And last week, then he goes into a series of parables telling us how we're supposed to get ready. How do we get ready for the unexpected? And last week, he gave the parable of the 10 virgins. And in that, the key thing we are supposed to prepare in the unknown is we're supposed to prepare an in, with intimate relationship with Jesus right? In the time of the unknown, are you cultivating intimacy with God? Are you filling up the oil of knowing him? Because if you don't have oil, the oil of intimacy with God, you will not be able to, you will not be able to weather the night. And by the time he does arrive at an unexpected time, you will not be ready unless you are intimate with Jesus right now. Are you known by God? Are you spending your time and your energy spending intimacy, like building your intimacy with the Lord? Because if not, you will not be ready when the king returns. Because this, all these parables are telling us how to prepare for the sudden and unexpected return of the king. So that first thing is intimacy with God. And that's first and foremost, are you, do you know the Lord like that? Are you going into the door every day? 
You cl- are you closing your door and spending time in prayer with the Lord, filling up the oil of intimacy? And once we are doing that, then he talks about this, the parable of the talents. He says, verse 14, for it will be like, he continues, a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to him his property. His property. So when the kingdom comes, it's going to be like this. The, the reign of God is going to be like this. A man going on a journey who has called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Already from this first verse, we can, we can get a couple realities about the kingdom of heaven, right? Number one is that it's, it's, like, it's like a man going on a journey. And Jesus said in John 15 or in John 14, verse two to three, he says he's going to go away. He's going away. And, and during that time, we have to do something. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if this were not so, I, w- I would have told you that I go and prepare, what I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself where I am so that you may be also. So Jesus says, he will go away on a journey, just like a man goes away on a journey. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's away And what he's doing is he's preparing a place for us in his father's house. So right now, this parable is talking about this time when Jesus has gone away. And he called his servants to himself. Now, the servants are anyone who serves this master who in this parable is Jesus, right? So this is talking about Christians, those who acknowledge Jesus as master. And to the servants, to his his followers, to the Christian, he entrusted to them his property. I mean, look at that word, to be entrusted with the things of God. Like for anyone who feels like your life is not very significant, I need you to hear, if you are a servant of God, if you're a Christian, you've been entrusted with the things that belong to God himself. What does it mean to be entrusted? Like it, it means that you are trusted. <laughs> like That's so crazy. God trusts you. Right? To be entrusted with something is, is an honor. Right? It's to be given authority, responsibility. And to, there, there's an expectation when you're entrusted. It's a privilege and an honor to be entrusted with someone's possessions. Right? Now, it's not like many of us think of a, the th- God entrusting us with a task as a burden or an obligation. But that's because you don't know who it is that entrusts you. Right? We, you and I, are entrusted with the things of God. And we have to realize that they are God's property still. The things that we have been entrusted with is ultimately the Lord's. It's not ours, right? And because it's the Lord's, it actually makes it more valuable, right? Because what gives property its value? It's, it's to whom it belongs, Right? Like, I, I think I, 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 you know, I started Googling a couple random things. I think recently people found like, um, like Barack Obama's, uh, like his, his high school yearbook that he, that he wrote in and they like put it up for auction and sold it for like thousands of dollars. And I think like, um, there was, a uh, the, the, first, the Air Jordans that, that Jordan wore during his, like one of the championships, it, it went up, it was, a they sold it for half a million dollars, right? Just, it's just. It's just, they're just shoes. It's just a yearbook, but because of who owned it, a famous person owned it, the value of it went up, right? Serena Williams, I think she like threw a tennis racket on the ground because she was angry after a match. And then they sold it for 
$20,000, okay? Like, it's just a, a broken tennis racket. Literally would, would be worthless to anyone else, but because she owned it, right, touched it, you know, it belonged to her, it was now this gar piece of garbage, this broken tennis racket worth $20,000. Now, take that and multiply it by infinity when whatever belongs to the Lord is infinitely valuable because of whom it belongs to, because who it owns. And that is what we are given. We are given that, we are entrusted with that of ultimate value, which gives us an incredibly valuable job to do in this life, purpose, right? Verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. To each according to his ability. You know, one thing we have to realize is that uh, in this parable, he gives each servant different amounts, right? Which to me, like some of us read that when I used to read this, I'd be like, oh man, that's not fair. How come God doesn't give everyone, you know, five talents or at least give everyone two and spread it out a little bit more? Like what about that poor guy with just one or just two? Like doesn't even have like, you know, like the, the guy with five, why does he get more than double the two? Like, it's just crazy. But as I get older, I'm just, I'm actually really thankful that God gives different amounts according to their ability. Because that means that you don't, we don't have to compare ourselves to others. Like everyone is given something. The one thing that this parable doesn't say is that there, none of the servants, all the servants are given something, right? None of them are given nothing, but they're all given different amounts. Everyone is given an enormously valuable treasure and entrusted with it, but not everyone's given the same amount. Fairness is not sameness, right? So don't look at someone else and what the, God, what the Lord has given them to do and be like, man, why didn't God give me this? Or why didn't God give me that? He gave you and me exactly what you and I were made to do. He knows our ability. He knows our capacity. So don't look at another's and look down on what you've been given. Don't envy what other people have. For the Lord has given you what you and I were designed for. Right? <clears throat> but then here's the million dollar question. What is a talent? Right? It says one was given, one was given five talents, one was given two, and one was given one talent. And I know a lot of times whenever I preach on this in the past, I would spend lots of time trying to figure out the modern equivalent, monetary equivalent of what a talent is today. Um, but you know what? Like, it's not really that important. Like, it, it can range between uh, $400,000 to about $1.5 million, depending on gold price fluctuation, a day's wages, and the economy, and all these different things. Okay, so all... So anywhere from half a million to 1.5 million is one talent. All you, all you need to know is that a talent, even if it's just one, is an incredible amount of money. It's an incredible amount of wealth. So what we can take from that is that whatever these talents represent is something that is extraordinarily valuable to God and something that God entrusted of incredible value to his servants. That's what a talent is, something that it is incredibly valuable and something that God has entrusted to his servants. So what? So now that narrows down what these talents might actually mean. 
What is Jesus talking about? What are the talents? Well, one thing we know for sure is these talents are not earthly wealth. He's not actually talking about money, right? Because we know how God feels about money, right? There's so many examples that God does not value money as much as we think, as much as we do, not even close. There's an example in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. There's a parable of a rich man. And he had so many, he had, he, he had, he produced so much. He said, what should I do with all of my crops? And then he says, I'm going to store them up. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a set aside a retirement. And then verse 19, I'm going to say to my soul, now you have so much money, so much stuff, relax, eat, drink, be merry. And then verse 20, God said to him, fool, this night, your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is how God feels about earthly wealth. It is not that valuable to him. And whether how much of it we have or have laid up is not something God cares for us. It's not something that he values. In fact, if God valued earthly wealth, then Jesus, his son, who came on earth to be the perfect man, to value the things that God values, should have been the richest person in the world. But he wasn't. He was homeless. He, he had no place to lay his head. If earthly wealth is what God wanted us to store up and to multiply here on earth, then his followers in the New Testament would have been extraordinarily wealthy, right? Made every effort to do so. But when you read the writings of Paul, you see that they did not value earthly wealth. They were poor and they were destitute, most of them. So then what are these talents? Well, at least growing up for me, these talents were interpreted as your natural talents, your abilities, or your power, or your education, or your influence in this world, right? And we're told to go and, and influence the world, gather, you know, work hard, study hard, get a lot of talent and power and influence so that we can influence for, you know, for God or whatever. But that's not what this is talking about. It's not education. It's not power. It's not worldly talent. Because look at how God looks at these things. Does he value them? 1 Corinthians chapter 26 to 27, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful or, or of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 now then, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and recognized that they have been with Jesus, right? Look at this. God does not, his highest value, the things that, are, that he would consider a talent are not earthly power, education, or influence, right? Look what he said. He said, these things are not what we're called to. God actually likes to choose the weak the foolish things of the world. The, the disciples that he, that he chose were uneducated men. So clearly this talent, a talent which is supposed to represent something of extraordinary value to the master are not these things. A talent represents then what is, when we look at the Bible, what are the things that are valuable to God? What does God care about? What are the things that he considers his property and that he treasures? Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six, God says for you, he's talking to the, his people, a holy people to the Lord. The Lord, your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Look at those words, treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. What does God treasure? 
What does he consider of highest value? It's his people. His people are his, are his prized possession, right? And so in the parable, when the master is entrusting his servants to his property, worth an incredible amount to the master, it's people. It's God's people, right? It's relationships over money, over talent. Luke chapter 6, verse 9, there's a parable, a really confusing parable uh, about the shrewd manager. And if you know this parable, it's basically about a guy, about a manager who is like a, um, he's like a treasurer over his master's money. And then he gets into some trouble and he knows he's about to get fired, right? And so what he does before he gets fired is he takes all of the money that the master has put over him and he starts to use it and spend it all and like do all this random stuff to try to make as many friends as he can with it before he's fired. And then when the master at the end catches him doing this, says, good job, man. It's like, what, like, what in the world? You know, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus ends this parable like this. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, you, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So like, do you guys see the value system of God? It's not worldly wealth that he cares about, but the things that are valuable to Jesus is actually relationships, our people, our friendships, and the people that are around you. You're supposed to use your money and your stuff to make friendships, to build relationships. And the manager is commended for doing so. People are the possession that we are entrusted with. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Right? And what God has entrusted to his servants, his property, I believe... You know, I mean, yeah, you can use this parable and I think it can mean a lot of different things, but I think the main, for me, the talents represent what is valuable to God and what is valuable to God are his people. And that is whom God has entrusted to us, not things, not abilities, not education, not knowledge, but people. Look at another example. Who has God entrusted to Jesus, right? John chapter 17, verse 12. This is Jesus talking, and he's talking to God. He's praying. He's saying, while I was with them, he's talking about his disciples, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me, and I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is talking to his father, and he's saying, Father, I have kept all of them whom you've given to me, and I guarded them, and I stewarded them, and the only one I lost was Judas, but you know, you knew that had to happen. But all the ones you've entrusted to me, I've kept them and I've lost, I haven't lost any of them. Look, God gave Jesus, not things, not power, not an army on earth, not money, but God entrusted to his son, the disciples, people. And Jesus stewarded that. He was entrusted with them. The relationships are what are, is valuable in the kingdom of God. And look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Look at verse 19. What Paul says, he's talking to the church of the, of the Thessalonians. He says, when Jesus comes, 
You know what I'm going to boast about? You know what is going to be my crown? Like a crown is the most valuable thing, right? You know what my crown will be? My crown is going to be you guys, the church that I have started. You guys are my crown. You're who I'm going to boast about. When Jesus comes, I'm not going to be like, hey, look at all this money. Look at, I've become the best tent maker in the world. Look at all these things that I have. He's going to say, look, Jesus, look at these brothers and sisters whom I have brought to the kingdom. They are what is valuable because that's what Jesus is going to be looking for. The Thessalonians are Paul's crown. These people these relationships, these kingdom relationships. So what is valuable to God? What, are, what do these talents represent? It is the people of God and those who will be his people at the preaching of the gospel. Hi, son. What are we entrusted with? We're entrusted with the people and with the gospel. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but we have been approved by God and been entrusted with the gospel. That's what he's been entrusted with. Listen, and here in the parable, it says, a man has gone on a journey and he has entrusted to them his property. What we have been entrusted with are people of God around us and the gospel of God. Paul was entrusted with the gospel of God. One more and one more Galatians chapter two, verse seven. On the contrary, when they saw that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. You guys see that the thing that God keeps entrusting to his servants is the gospel. And to Paul, it was the gospel to a certain group of people, the Gentiles, and to Peter, a certain group of people, the Jews. So all of the servants of God are entrusted with incredible wealth, which are literally the people of God. So you have to look, if you're sitting next to someone who is a person of God, you have to realize that that's a talent. They're worth millions to the Lord, right? I know they don't look like it right now, but they, to the Lord, they are so valuable, right? Every servant, every part, every part of the body of God is a treasure of infinite value to the Lord. And he entrusts these treasures to us, for us to steward, for us to multiply. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five more. Look at that. He went, he, he recognized how valuable what he was given and then he went at once. I love that. That means he went, there was no time to waste, right? He wasn't like, he didn't, he didn't worry about how long the master was going to be away. He didn't try to calculate, like, when's the master going to come back? Man, like, he took this many supplies, and he said these things. So, God, ah, that looks about two weeks. I got two weeks. No, no. He just went at once and started working those talents. He didn't waste time. Don't be caught delaying, thinking that you can do it later. Stop pushing off the things that God has called us to do. Because discipleship, evangelism, building relationship building intimacy with God, all these things take time. You can't just do it instantly. You can't be like, oh, Jesus is coming back next week. Let me go make a bunch of disciples, right? Even if you knew like God was going to come back, you know, in, in, in next month, that's still not enough time because guys, what we're called to do is cultivate and build up these talents. And that literally takes a long time. So you need to get started. You need to get started at once, immediately, the best time to obey is right away, okay? I, I 
that rhymes and I meant that to rhyme so you remember it. And it's true for God and it's true for humans. Like when do you want to be obeyed, right? Parents, when do you want to be obeyed? Right away, right? Nothing upsets me more than when I'm, I tell my kids to do something and they are slow to listen, right? Especially when they're watching like a TV show or something. And I'm like, hey guys, like, hey, can you guys clean up the room? And they just keep staring at the iPad and, and like pretend like they haven't heard me. Like as cute as they are, I start to get upset, right? Like that's the worst. When they're one, when they're slow to obey or if they straight up pretend like they don't hear me, like I, I, get, I get mad, right? And so the same is with God. Like, why do we do this to him? We know the things that we are to do today. Like every day, there's, we know what we're supposed to do. And we're like, well, I'll do it later, God. <laughs> right? Or we pretend like we, we don't hear him. Guys, get to work immediately. Right? Immediate obedience pleases the Lord. It, it pleases my heart. If my kids like just obey and do what I say, like I'm so happy. Right? It makes my heart so happy as a father. If, let's please our father in heaven by obeying him today, right? Look at, be like the psalmist from Psalm 119, verse 60. He says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commands, right? That's why this guy got a spot in the Bible because he, this is what he did. He didn't delay God. And the thing is, this is what a heart that loves God does. Someone who loves obeys immediately, right? Like when the guy with five talents, when he was given that, it shows that he cared about the master's stuff. He cared about the master and he cared about the master's welfare. So he went and did it right away. Love is what motivates. Like, you know, for example, like, <clears throat> like I showed like this earlier this week, I showed Grace a picture of like a, of a, of a, of a brick house that was painted white. And I was like, honey, like, what do you think about this? And she was like, oh, that looks really good. Maybe we, yeah, that, that, you know, she like seemed to really like it. She's like, maybe we should do that someday. And I don't know, like I was planning to make maybe one day when, when I can find time and whatever, we can paint our house white just, just for fun. And when I saw how, like how much she liked how it looked, it just made me want to do it right away. <laughs> you know, like, and so like um, she didn't know, but then I, I ordered it that night and then it came in a few days later. And then I spent the last two days painting our house white. And now if you drive by our house, it's a different color, right? And it's like, that's the thing, like love motivates us to like want to do what the one whom we love wants like right away. We're not like, oh, I'll do it later, I'll do it someday. But like, if you like love motivates you to do it quickly. Verse 17, same thing with the one who got two talents. The one with two talents had two more, um, went and made two more. He didn't sulk. He didn't be like, man, how come I only got two talents? How come the guy with five, he has more than double? He didn't do that. He did it. He just went and did it, right? Verse 18, but the one who received one talent dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Man, what a contrast. The two went right away and started to multiply what he's been given. But the one hid it and did nothing. He just thought holding on to what he's been given was good enough. Anybody? inactive faith right now, just hiding in the ground, too afraid or too lazy to do anything with what you've been given? Is that you thinking that, oh, it's fine. The master already gave me all this stuff. Like, why would I have to do anything with it? 
But then after a long time, the master of those servants came to settle accounts, right? And it's going to be a long time. There's going to feel like a delay, but he will come and he will settle accounts with us. Romans chapter 14, verse 11 to 12 says, as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. And so each of us will give an account of himself to God one day. And it will come like when you don't expect it, we will be held accountable. The master will return and we will have to settle accounts for our lives and for the talents that we've been given, for the people that we've been given, for the gospel that we've been entrusted with. And on that day, what are you going to say? Verse 20, he who received the five talents came forward and brought five more saying, master, you have delivered me five talents. Here, I have five talents more. What will you say to Jesus when he returns? What are you going to show him with what you did with your life and the people and the relationships around you? Will you, were you going to show him how much money you've made? You're going to show him your house. Look, look at, I painted it nice and white. Jesus, you like that? You're going to show him how smart your kids are. Are you going to show him how high up you got on, on, in that little company of yours? None of that's going to matter. Is it? I want to say what this guy says. And his master, verse 21, said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Guys, this is the phrase that I want to hear more than anything else at the end of my life or when Christ returns, right? Honestly, like, don't you guys want to hear these words? When you see him, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, more than anything, I don't need the world to remember me. I don't need anyone to remember me. I just want to hear these words from Jesus. And what does he say? He said, you have been faithful over little. Like that's so shocking if you, you know, because we know how much a talent is worth to the listeners. They should be like, what? You've been faithful over a little? You've been given five talents. That is so much wealth. And to the master, he considers that just a little. He's like, oh, yeah, you've been faithful with the little bit that I gave you. Man, how wealthy is this master? Clearly way wealthier than we thought because five talents was nothing. And he says, don't worry. You think this was, you've been faithful over this little bit. I'm going to give you so much more. You guys realize that there is a reality that's coming that's going to make this world, this reality, so little in comparison to what God is going to give us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, but it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Guys, there is so much that God has. There is something greater coming. When the kingdom comes, we have no idea what phase two of this whole thing is going to look like, but it's going to be so much greater than what we have been given now. And he says, enter into the joy of your master. And what it's going to look like is joy. We are going to enter and we're going to be invited into ultimate joy, God's joy, the fullness of joy that we have not yet experienced in this life. A life of faithfulness is hard but it ends with joy. It leads to the fullness of God's joy, a joy that's so great 
that all the great suffering and the tribulation and the things that you feel like you're giving up right now, I know that a lot of you who are listening right now feel like you're giving up a lot of things for God, but the joy that we will receive will make all those things like nothing. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Guys, whatever you're giving up, whatever suffering you're going to and will go through in the future, because there's going to be more, is going to be nothing compared to the glory in which God has prepared for us. Amen? We need to be faithful with the talents that he's given to us. Because if we're not faithful, it's going to lead to the opposite, not to ultimate joy, but to weeping and gnashing of teeth. And verse 22, the, also the one with the two talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me too. I made two more. And look what the master says. He says, you only made four talents. What the heck? No, he says, well done. He says the same thing. It doesn't matter how much we have at the end as long as we are faithful with what we've been given. Do not compare yourself with others in the kingdom. Don't compare yourself to this pastor or that guy or this girl or that guy. Oh, look at this girl. You know, that girl, she's so holy. She's, she's discipling like 15 girls or like, you know, that guy, he's doing all these things. Oh, this person, he's, you know, like don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself. Just look at what the Lord has given you. Look at the gospel that he's given you. Look at the people that God has placed around your life, the relationships that are around you. Are you being faithful with them? Don't worry about how many people that guy is discipling. Who are the people in your life that you are influencing with the gospel that he's given to you? Because what, that is what we will be gauged on. Unlike the one with one. Verse 24. He also who received the one talent came forward. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you didn't scatter, where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you, you have what is yours. Guys, it matters how we perceive our master. This guy clearly had no love for his master. You know it by the way he describes the master. This unfaithful servant, he saw his master as a hard man as an unfair man and a man to be afraid of. There was no love. The attitude that the others showed was immediate obedience, which showed that they loved their master. They were so thrilled to be entrusted with his stuff. So they wanted to, to, to please him, but not this guy. When he looked at the master, there was no love. He didn't, he thought, look, he, but he thought he knew the master. He said, I knew you to be a hard man, right? There is this deception of he thought he knew who the master was. There is many of us who think we know God. And we think of God as a harsh, cruel, and unfair taskmaster. And so we are filled with fear when we think of God. Whenever we think of his commandments, we're like, oh, we think of them grudgingly. We think of, oh, he's trying to ruin my life. We think, oh, he's trying to take away my fun. He's trying to like, you know, control me. He's trying to make me into a slave. You don't know him. You think he's harsh. You think he's unfair. Every time you see something in the Bible, you're like, oh, look at that. God's so unfair. He's so restricting. Why would he make my life like this? Do you not realize who he is? He is not that. You are mistaken. This is who God is. Psalm 103, 
if you knew God, you would know that like the psalmist in 103.8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is who the master is. Even Jonah and Jonah 4.2, he knew God and it made him mad that God was like this. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Like Jonah knew who God was and he didn't like it. He was like, God, you're going to be merciful to even my enemies. You're so merciful. I hate it. Right? But this unfaithful servant, when he saw the master, he didn't see him for who he truly was. He knew the master wrongly. He didn't know God, and therefore he didn't love God. And because he didn't love God, he had no desire to obey God. Because if we love God, we will obey him. We will take the talents that matter to him, and we will care for it. If you love him, you will obey him. John chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. How do we know we love God? When we take care of those things that are most valuable to him and what's most valuable to the Lord of great value, the talents that he's given us are the people around us, the relationships around us, our families, our children, our coworkers, those whom God has placed into our realm. And for some of you, it might not be that many people. For some of you, you're, you're young and like you can't leave your house right now. You, can't, you don't have a car. You can't go anywhere. Well, guess what? Then your talent that you've been entrusted with right now or maybe your parents and your siblings and, and whoever you can reach from your phone, that might be the talent. But are you faithful? Are you, are you investing into their lives? Are you building those relationships so that you can give them, invest the gospel in which you have been entrusted with so that more of the gospel can be produced in the lives of those whom you can touch? Some of you are, gonna, are placed on huge platforms. You're like famous or something, or you're super popular, or I don't know, you're, you, you have a high position somewhere and you can influence lots of people. Well, guess what? You have more people you are to influence and to invest in to their lives with the gospel of God. Look at what he says. I knew, and, and, and then the master said, hey, if you knew that I wanted more, I gave you some expecting for you to increase it, then why didn't you go invest it? at least. What that tells us is God expects an increase of what we've been given. Guys, are you investing? You know how, you know what investing is? It's taking money, something valuable, and then you give it away, hoping that more will be produced in return. And it's always a risk. It's always a gamble. Are you investing the gospel? Are you investing by giving it away to others with the hopes that more gospel will be produced in those people's lives? Are you giving away your testimony to someone else, investing it in someone else so that they, uh, more gospel testimony might be produced in those around you? We need to increase the talents that we've been given. And the way we do this 
1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, verse 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another for, and for all, so that you, for as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Guys, remember the context of this whole parable. It's all about getting ready for his coming. And the way we're going to get ready for his coming is by verse 12, by increasing in love for one another, those whom God has placed around us. He says to increase in that love. And when we do that, by investing in the people around us, by building up relationships with those people around us in love so that we can invest into them the gospel in which we've been entrusted. That when we see Jesus face to face, that we will be found blameless on that day. And so, because this is who the master is, in the end, he says, Take the one from the wicked servant who did nothing and give it to the one who has 10. Guys, at the end, you know what the master does? He doesn't take all the talents for himself. He doesn't take all the wealth and the glory for it. He actually wants to give it to his servants. The one with 10, he let him keep the 10 and then he gave him another one. It's like, this is the heart of the master. He doesn't work us. He's not trying to exploit us. He's not trying to use us. He calls us into something because he wants to give us more. He's a giving God. You're like, oh, I don't want to go and invest into people's relationships. I don't want to invest the gospel. I don't want to share. Don't you realize God is trying to give you something greater? He's not trying to take life away from you. He's trying to give you true life and what really matters. So let us immediately, may God open our eyes today to the true talents that he's given us to the tremendous value of the human beings, the relationships that God has entrusted to us. And may we wake up to what really matters to God today and start investing in the treasure of the gospel into the people around us, because it's going to be for our good. He has great plans for us and there's no time to waste where he is coming and there he's coming soon. So let's get to work everyone. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you are blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.